Section eight of The Diary of a Country Parson by James Woodford, read by John Greenman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Seventeen sixty six, January twenty fifth. I had a letter from Mr. Rice, my tailor in Oxford, to whom I am greatly in debt. It was a very civil letter. He had written to explain he couldn't pay him yet. January thirtieth. I read prayers this morning at C. Carey, it being K. Charles martyrdom. Papa gave me a large cheese for the lower house this morning. I dined, supped, and spent the evening at Parsonage. February 4th. Our dear Mama is much worse, and daily taking her leave of all of us. On February 6th he enters, Poor Mama grows weaker and worse daily. The parsonage is a very melancholy house now, indeed. February 7th. Poor Mama sent for me and Jack this afternoon up into her room, and very solemnly took her leave of us. Therefore I do not believe she can exist very long in this world. February 8th. It pleased Almighty God of His great goodness to take unto Himself my dear good mother this morning about nine o'clock, out of this sinful world and to deliver her out of her miseries. She went out of this world as easy as it was possible for any one. I hope she is now eternally happy in everlasting glory. O Lord God Almighty, send help from the holy place to my dear father, and to all my dear mother's relations, to withstand so great a shock, and to live and die so easy as she did. On February 12th his mother is buried in the vault in the chancel of Ansford Church, very decently and well. We had all crepe hatbands and cloaks, and the pallbearers likewise. She left her whole estate between the diarist, Sister Jane, and Brother John. February 14th. Papa gave me this afternoon my money-box that poor Mama kept for me from a boy, in which was half a guinea, two half-crown pieces, a sixpence, two small silver coins, and one halfpence. February 17th. One Robert Galpine, an old schoolfellow of mine at Winton College, who was expelled genteelly from it, and whom I have not seen these ten years, called upon me this evening at Parsonage, and spent the former part of the evening with us there. February 20th. Galpine, I believe, is in the capacity of a servant to Mr. Meach, of CERN, in Dorset, an apothecary. February 22nd. I dined, supped, and spent the evening at Parsonage. Mr. Richard Clark, Jr., and Mr. Strong, a butcher at Poole, an acquaintance of his, supped and spent the evening with us. Mr. Richard Clark makes too free, I think, with our house. On March 25th he enters that Elizabeth Clothier gives him another ten pounds to keep for her at five per cent. Also Elizabeth Critch gives him twenty pounds to keep for her at five per cent. He is to have half a year's notice before repayment of principal. April 11th gave the Bath newsman for Mr. Pitt's speech one shilling. It is by no means plain which of Pitt's speeches is here meant. Is it the famous speech of January 14th, made in course of the debate on the address, when the great commoner denounced the ministry? Every capital measure they have taken is entirely wrong, vindicated the Americans, and urged that 
the Stamp Act be repealed absolutely, totally, and immediately. Or the much less famous speech of February 21st, when the bill for repealing the Stamp Act was introduced. Or the speech which astounded the House on March 10th, when he praised the hated Lord Bute and urged a sort of coalition ministry composed of King's Friends and the People's Friends. Or is it some speech at Bath, whither he had gone, the sum of things is that I am fitter for a lonely hill in Somersetshire than for the affairs of state, he had written to Lord Shelburne on February 24th. On the whole we think the first-named speech is meant, for the debate on the address had been surreptitiously printed in Paris. Note Albert von Ruville's William Pitt, Earl of Chatham, three volumes, translated 1907, Volume 3, pages 166 to 174. Fitzmaurice's Shelburne, Volume 1, page 264. The Parliamentary History, Volume 16. June 23rd. I went this evening with Miss Rook and Jenny to see a play, The Orphan or Unhappy Marriage, to the courthouse at Sea Carry, performed by some strollers, and they did it pretty well. July 4th. I dined and spent the afternoon at Justice Creed's with him, his father, one farmer Clark of Lovington, tenants to the Justice, Miss Molly Pugh, and Sister Jane. We went in the evening to a play called Love in a Village. I paid there one shilling sixpence. The Justice treated the ladies at the play. July 18th. I went to a play at the courthouse at Sea Carry called The Provoked Husband or A Journey to London this evening with aunt tom jenny and mrs clark and brother highs and his little boy billy with little sam clark i paid for going in being mrs midnight's benefit two shillings for cherries for myself and many others there paid two shillings the company was greatly disturbed at the play by the noise of an insolent saucy mob on the outside of the playhouse this and other references in the diary to the visit of strolling companies of players to so remote and relatively unimportant a township as Castle Carry throws into prominence the different, and in so many aspects better, conditions of country life in the eighteenth century as compared with today. Castle Carry had in 1801 a population of 1,281 persons. Note Phelps' History of Somersetshire, Volume 1, page 375 and we shall probably not be far wrong if we assume it numbered not more than twelve hundred persons in 1766. What villages or townships today of this size have the opportunity of seeing the plays of Shakespeare or the Beggar's Opera? We shall see that these are referred to in later entries, and all sorts of other plays, excellent or otherwise. This is an apt illustration of the deplorable decay of country gaieties, following on the abnormal and dismal development of industrial life in towns. July 19th. I spent and read prayers to a poor woman in C. Carey, John Baker, the Thatcher's wife, who is extremely bad and I am afraid in a deep consumption, a very honest and good woman as well as her husband is a man. They are a very happy couple. July 21st. I paid, maybe, the overseer this morning for a quarter's taxes for our estate, late my mother's, two pounds, two shillings, two and a half pence, that is, for land tax, 
eighteen shillings one pence to six poor rates two shillings eight and a half pence per rate sixteen shillings threepence to window tax nineteen in number seven shillings ten and a half pence as regards the land tax and the window tax here referred to a word of explanation may be helpful the land tax at this date seventeen sixty six was to all intents and purposes merely a tax on real property at the rate of four shillings in the pound on the annual value of the property the high rate of four shillings was due to the financial burden imposed by the seven years war the lowering of the tax to three shillings in seventeen sixty seven caused the then chancellor of the exchequer to attempt taxation in america with ultimate consequences of disaster but the tax in the time of william and mary sixteen ninety two had been a genuine income tax including personal as well as real property somehow the personal part slipped out silently but pitt had the precedent of sixteen ninety two to say nothing of more ancient enactments when between seventeen ninety nine and eighteen o two he introduced our friend the income tax which with an interval of absence from eighteen fifteen to eighteen forty two has continued to dog our steps and pester us with shameless importunities the window tax was the immediate successor of the hearth or chimney tax and appeared in sixteen ninety six at that date houses with less than ten windows paid two shillings and from ten to twenty two shillings and four shillings additional but the tax steadily increased notably during the seven years war and the napoleonic wars pitt's seventeen ninety two exemption of houses with less than seven windows being short-lived the tax was not repealed till eighteen fifty one when it sank beneath its load of unpopularity and evil health results the yield of this odious tax in eighteen fifty was however one million seven hundred eight thousand five hundred four pounds and as the chancellor of the exchequer could not afford to lose so large a sum another old friend was revived the inhabited house duty note if any reader is hungry for further information on these or any other taxes he should consult that fascinating work taxation and taxes in england by stephen dowell four volumes eighteen eighty eight on which the above comments are based july twenty second i dined supped and spent the evening at the parsonage mr clerk the player alias mrs midnight spent the afternoon at parsonage july thirtieth for a pair of new paltry slippers of dunford at c carry paid five shillings n b i shall never have any more dealings with him i believe for he is not only extraordinary but also very impudent august first i gave a poor old wounded soldier one pence august third i buried a little maid of phil stockman's this evening at c carry that died in the smallpox august fifth i had some talk in c carry churchyard with a methodist stranger mr john burge and mr james clark supped and spent the evening at parsonage my father would not see them which occasioned very high words between him and jack after my father's temper of late makes me quite miserable august twelfth lent jack this morning which makes me very poor two pounds twelve shillings sixpence jack went to lidford fair this morning and was out all day and night august nineteenth henry fitch esq of high hall wimborne dorset 
sent for me this afternoon to Ansford Inn on his road to Bristol, where I spent part of the afternoon with him. He drank tea with us at the parsonage this afternoon. Fitch is an old schoolfellow of mine when at Winchester, and is now gent-com of Queen's College, Oxon. He has lately had a bad fall from his horse, which gave him a violent pain in his breast, therefore is going to the hot wells at Bristol to drink the waters. On August 22nd, being the bishop's triennial visitation, which the archdeacon took, the bishop, being very old, they had the usual service at Castle Carey Church, at which the diarist read the prayers. They dined at Ansford Inn, and the archdeacon treated him, being the reader, for my dinner and for liquor as long as he stopped. I paid myself afterwards for wine, etc., one shilling. August 25th. After breakfast I went with Brother John to Wells to have Counselor Andrew's opinion of my mother's appointment to me, Brother John and Sister Jane, which we had satisfactorily. We paid the counselor for his opinion in writing one pound, one shilling. Note, counselor is an old-fashioned title for barrister. Now, instead of employing counselors, we employ counsel. Between September 1st and September 4th, they, he and his brother John, go to Winchester, to the election, and on September 4th, he notes, I gave brother John this afternoon five shillings, his money being all gone, and be high time to decamp. September 12th, I spent the afternoon at Dr. Clark's. Brother Hyes came in at the latter part of the afternoon to us, rather merry, and exposed himself greatly by his talk to me. September 14th. Mr. James Clark, who went to Kingsgate in Kent, to my Lord Holland, after Mr. Mellier on Mr. Cheech's account, which is 180 miles, returned this afternoon, Sunday, about one o'clock, with Mr. Mellier. Mr. James set out from Ansford last Thursday, ten o'clock in the forenoon, there and back again is near four hundred miles. I was taken extremely bad this evening, just after I was in bed, in a fainting fit, but, I thank God, through Jack's assistance, etc., I soon got better. If my brother had not laid in the same room, I do believe I must have expired this evening. September 29th, at dinner with the Creeds, and B, we had a pineapple after dinner, the first I ever saw or tasted. October 5th. Mrs. Grant of Henbridge spent this afternoon at Parsonage. She came to talk with my father about Jack and her daughter Nancy, which I hope now will soon be settled to their satisfaction. October 18th. I entirely forgot that this was St. Luke's Day, and therefore did not read prayers at C. Carey, which I should have done otherwise. As it was not done willfully, I hope God will forgive it. On October 31st he borrows 250 pounds of Mrs. Robin White to pay for Oxford debts. He tries to get Mr. Leach of Avard and Mr. Gapper of Yarlington to take his services during his absence in Oxford, and other parsons too, but fails for a variety of reasons. Mr. Gapper because he already preaches three times on Sunday, Mr. Leach because his mother has just died so he has to defer his journey to Oxford. December 2nd. Luke Barnard came to live with me as a servant this day. I am to give him per annum three pounds, a coat, and waistcoat, and hat, 
besides victuals and drink washing and lodging december twenty second i paid mr white for my half pig eighty five pence pound weight one pound three shillings december twenty ninth jack did not come home till after one o'clock in the morning and therefore kept me awake almost all night he was at farmer cox of grove a dancing there end of section eight seventeen sixty six